Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry and Danny. What's up, Danny? Uh, chilling, I guess. I don't know. Not really. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Um, I wouldn't say I'm chilling. I wouldn't use the word chilling as per usual. No, not I'm today. De- definitely not chilling. It is a scary world. Yep. It is a very scary world. I'm actually kind of disoriented by everything that's happened in the past couple of days. And, you know, right now we're recording this on October 9th. So we're, what, two days after the the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel? Mm-hmm. And this is kind of an emergency episode. We were we were planning on doing our, a follow-up to, uh, you know, to lead up to World War II on the, on the Eastern Front. But, um, you know, this came up and it seemed more pressing and it... You know, since we covered the Israel-Palestine conflict a lot in our in our years podcasting, it felt weird not discussing it. So yeah. here we are, and honestly, both of us much rather be doing a podcast on the World War II podcast that we were we were originally planning on doing. And I'm having a difficult time kind of processing everything because yeah. there's been a lot of jarring imagery. Um, a lot of heartbreaking videos um, and um, a lot of really, really insane rhetoric online, mm-hmm. which is all leading up to like this kind of hazy period where you feel like what's what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, right. But um, as of right now, the Israelis have not I do not believe they've moved into Gaza on the ground yet, but not yet, no. they are bombing it and. You know, I guess to recap, obviously, there was a, a tragic terrorist attack in uh, southern Israel close to the border fence. But I guess it happened that there was 12 towns that were total that were, were occupied. And the casualty figure right now, it's, I think the Israelis are saying there's somewhere around 800 dead, but there could be more. Yeah, um, about 150 to 200 captured. Yeah, 150 to 200 captured. Uh, some of those civilians, some of those are soldiers. Uh, IDF soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um Apparently, some are some are you know children. Some are yeah. Some aren't even Israeli. Some are are American citizens. I think. Uh, I think some of the Americans have are Israeli dual citizens. Um, yeah, they're they're serving in the IDF because there's a lot of Americans who serve in the IDF. Um, 
But it's, yeah, I'm really just trying to process this. And, and right now, and I'm kind of being careful about what I say because in moments like this, it's like the blood boiling is super high. And I'm also trying to, you know, this is kind of like an exercise for myself to, to, um, you know, process comprehend, it. yeah, the yeah. process it and to comprehend, you know, what the situation is going to be like. But I guess for first observation, the, the amount of calls for, for, uh, like a full on genocide from like evangelical Christian Twitter accounts is crazy. I don't know if you've been on Twitter, but I'm yeah. actually staying off of pretty much all social media for, for two reasons. One, I'm really not interested in seeing some of the more graphic videos. There's uh, heart, heartbreaking I've stuff. I've seen enough um, accidentally just in doing research on this because, I mean, I woke up Saturday morning and, you know, me and my fiance were just, you know, captivated by this. We were watching YouTubes and reading articles and, you know, putting on the news and trying to digest as much as possible. And, and I've seen more than my share and I kind of don't want to see it. So that's reason number one why I'm not really trying to go on social media right now reason number two is exactly what you said right not only am i seeing you know just absolutely ridiculous calls for what what would amount to genocide but also on the other side i'm seeing just very flagrantly supporting terrorist terrorism in general and my first initial reaction was just absolute and utter disgust at what hamas decided to do and this is coming from someone who very clearly understands the history here. I know all about the oppression and the occupation of the Palestinians. And truth in advertising here, I say this a lot whenever we talk about the Israel subject. I'm half Palestinian. I wasn't raised Muslim. I wasn't raised by my father, who is the Palestinian in me. I'm only Palestinian by blood. But if you happen to look at my last name, you know, you're probably going to think that I'm on that side. Just want to make that very clear. But the first thing that I thought when I saw the news was just absolute disgust for Hamas and absolute disgust for, you know, the the methods that they decided to take in order to fight the oppressors. I just think it's wrong in every in every sense. I, I mean, I we were talking about you know many <laughs> almost like two years ago now, uh, you know, the start of the Ukraine war, it, understanding the context behind what was going on and understanding the grievances by Russia, I still thought it was wrong for them to invade. And in this case, I'm going to remain as consistent as possible, even though those are two completely different scenarios. I think it's wrong in every case to take human lives. I think it's wrong in every case, especially to take innocent civilians' lives. And the gruesome manner in which they were doing this is just absolutely abhorrent. And I kind of don't stand on any of these people's sides. I don't stand on anyone's side who who is just outwardly declaring that it's okay to kill people in an, in every case. Yeah. And, and that's what's I think the the most frustrating part about this is because it's hard to get a straight understanding of a of a solution that would work without entertaining the idea that people will die. You know, obviously the um when you're hit by a terrorist attack the tension is extremely high. And after 9-11, I think everyone, especially New York, but mm-hmm. pretty much across America, was like, all right, we need to make these Muslims pay. That right. was the general mentality. There was no right. distinction between like, 
oh well, you know, it was it was a complicated thing with Osama bin Laden because I think the I think the cases, you know, people are saying this is Israel's nine eleven. Yeah, a lot of people. I are think saying these that. are kind. Of, I think this is kind of comparable in a lot of ways to yeah, multiple to, fronts to yeah. you know, basically this Hamas attack is a blowback attack, mm-hmm. and that's my view of it. It's, yeah. it's a blowback attack, and going down to you know when when the Israelis essentially fostered the development of Hamas as a uh, predominant political institution. You know, Hamas was a bulwark to the PLO. Right. So to the secularists fostered in that. The secularists in, in the 1970s, mm-hmm. the main enemy of Israel, they weren't the religious fundamentalist. It was the secularist, the secular rebel groups like the PLO who were more aligned with the Soviet Union. There used to be kind of a preference for for Hamas and Hamas started off as a Muslim Brotherhood charity group, essentially. Right. And um, you know, they the Israeli government let them kind of set up shop and and they do were they were creating schools and like you yeah. know institutions. As a matter of fact, one of the one of the schools that they created, oh man, I'm I'm forgetting the name of the university they set up, but it's it happens to be right now one of the main targets uh, that Israel hits every now and again because they say it's a you know it's a, a Islamist hotbed, which it is uh, legitimately, but. You know, these were one of the things that that were built and um, <coughs> set up, you know, in 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 cooperation with, you know, the Israeli forces who at the time were governing it. Right. So they, they were in Gaza governing Gaza. They had a you know, they had that presence there. They hadn't yet pulled out of Gaza. That only happened when 2005. Right. 2005 was when Israel pulled out of Gaza, and then 2006 or 2007 is when Hamas got voted as the uh, as as the governing body there. But anyway, I digress. Kind of pulling back, you know, there was a an Israel presence controlling the Gaza Strip, and they preferred this new organization that was led by Ahmed Yassin, right? So, Ahmed. so there's this the, the the vying political factions inside of Gaza at the moment. This is again under the total occupation and, and governance of the uh, of Israel was between Yasser Arafat's Fatah organization um, and this other guy whose name is Sheikh Ahmed Yassin, and this is a crippled, half-blind cleric, you know, uh, who you know at the time wanted to create. Uh, you know, some charities and and help benefit the people in Gaza, or at least that was the front that they were putting on at the time. And, and important context here, I believe this was around the same time that it was illegal to actually meet with or speak with any people who were involved with the PLO. Like that was an actual law that their, the Israel government could not actually have correspondence, could not communicate with with those entities. So in order for them to, to establish like somewhat normal relations, they had to go to anyone else. And one of them that that sprung up out of a lot of this was was Sheikh Yassin. And, you know, he was jailed by the Egyptians prior. So pr- prior to the Six Day War, he was he was in an Egyptian jail. Right. And the Israelis l- released him after the war. Mm-hmm. And they released him with really the goal of of him financing, you know, getting being kind of an intermediary between. Um, Saudi Arabia and other Islamist groups in Gaza. So that's kind of like the origin of, of, of where Hamas comes from. That's right. And, and, you know, the, the crazy thing about this is that 
you know, eventually when when this group becomes Hamas and 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 gets a bit more, you know, unruly for the for the Israeli tastes, they do end up arresting him in Israel. Uh, and it was through, I believe, in, uh, one of those prisoner swaps that they were able to get him back. And he came back basically like a hero. And this is when they when they basically all took off in, in terms of when Hamas took off as the alternative to the PLO or the Fatah in in Gaza. And till this day, I mean, a lot of a lot of the Hamas people uh, follow the teachings of, of Yasin. As a matter of fact, they they named their rockets <laughs> Yasins. So after this guy, um, he was a very radical uh, Islamist. 100%, you know, I mean, he definitely wasn't a friend of Israel, even though he somehow convinced them that he was worth investing in and allowing to 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 be there. But the context behind that isn't that he was just the smart guy that duped them. The context behind that is that Israel needed to thwart the secularists, the Fatah organization in, in Gaza, who had been very powerful and had, had been, you know, had a lot of public sway in Gaza. And I mean, this is like the 70s. I mean, at the time, this is when we were, when the MO was go after the communists at all costs. And, and in the Middle East, unfortunately, the, the easy way to do that was to get the Islamists to, to go against them. Yeah, the, the Israelis used to use the Islamists to like, you know, beat up the communists up or like, you know, the Arab nationalists up. Or if there was like a, a rally, uh, they would they would kind of outsource muscle to the to the Islamists. Um, and this is a time where, you know, the, you have to look at the, the conditions of the Cold War. The secularist socialist types like the PLO, they had that outside state sponsor of the Soviet Union. So that was a much bigger threat. But now, and here's something I kind of want to bring this back to, to modern days. There is a claim, and this claim doesn't really have any evidence behind it that Iran is is kind of running things and this was an Iranian attack on Israel. I'm sure if you look into finances and and um how Hamas is getting money, I'm sure there's Iranian money back in there. Like it, I would be surprised if there wasn't. However, the way that it's being painted is that this was essentially like an Iranian coordinated attack. Um Hamas being that its origins it was that it was essentially a charities type patronage network. They get funding from Islamists around the world. Like they get charitable mm-hmm. donations and a lot of the weapons that they have, they're coming from, I mean, first and foremost, a lot of them are repurposed, you know, bombs that have landed in Gaza. So they repurpose weapons. They repurpose tanks. They repurpose, uh, armored vehicles. They repurpose, uh, Toyota Hiluxes. They very, they very, they repurpose like destroy, you know, everyone there is like basically a civic engineer mm-hmm. and they, um, are also getting things off the black market. And just think about what's going on in Ukraine, the amount of weapons and arms that are being flooded out there. A lot of those weapons are not accounted for. You have mm-hmm. to think that all this, all these weapons that are on the black market are coming back and getting into the hands of people we would not want to have those weapons. And I, I would be surprised if you know there weren't weapons that were coming from the front and, or being delivered as aid in, in Ukraine. Which is another form of blowback, but um, it's there. It's just without evidence. This is being attributed to Iran, and maybe they did sponsor it. I don't know yet. Like we're going to see 
it's that's not beyond a reasonable doubt or beyond a reasonable possibility that you know Iran was in coordination with it. What adds kind of credence to that is that Hezbollah clearly seems to have known, and if Hezbollah known, um, then well, Iran knew. Iran knew. I don't it think there's been, any doubt in my mind that Iran knew. Yeah, their it, their level of of involvement is is up for debate. I think it. I, I hate that the first reaction is that Iran did this because I think it undermines the. This is going to be a weird thing to say. It undermines the the motivations of Hamas to do this, as as if to say Hamas didn't have. Jesus, this is going to be really hard to to put out. So take this with a grain of salt. As if in the minds of Hamas, they didn't have justification to do this. I'm not saying they were justified. Just saying that they believed they already had enough justification to be able to do this on their own without needing Iran to tell them to go do it. I don't think that that's a. I I, I think going straight to Iran on this one is is kind of hard. But I I did read a few things and and. You know, I, I think we should talk about like how this all happened because this was a coordinated attack. I mean, you're going to see on on every news outlet they're they're saying this was land, air, and sea assault on Israel, which is technically true. Although I think the land part was really the big, um, the land and rocket part was really the big, you know, uh, uh, mover and shaker here. But the first thing I thought it was like, how the fuck do they pull this off? Dude, that that fucking glider was insane. The it hang looked glider. Like it, it, the hang glider. It looked like something out of um, Grand Theft Auto. Okay, so so this was the first thing that jumped out at me about that actually, and I did a little bit of research on this, and it was actually really hard to find because right now, it literally, you just type the word "I" in Google, and it's already giving you a million Israel, like you know what's going on in Israel. So finding this was incredibly hard. So I found a uh, article. From a website I've never heard of called uh, Le Orient Jour, the Orient Journal, I don't know. Don't know the veracity of this stuff here, but take it with a grain of salt. This is literally the only thing that would actually talk about these fucking paragliders because it's it's a ridiculous sight, right? You, you see these, these you know, I, I saw a video of like what looked like 50 of these paragliders flying over. And they've got like what each two people on them one one guy flying one guy holding a gun in the front so we're talking about a max of 100 people but that's still 100 people flying over the fence and it just seems so ridiculous because i thought to myself you don't just it's not a bicycle you don't just get in one and like immediately know how to drive one of these things you have to have trained to do this and that raises so many questions like how the fuck did you learn how to do that? And so this this article. Where, where do you get the airspace to to do that? Like you that's have to, a, you need some flight dude, lessons, a, right? Yeah, like that's, you need training. You need training for this. And so let, let me get to the content of this article because it's fucking fascinating. And again, I don't know how like good this media is, but at least it helps me start to think about this in like a relevant way. So they they speak with three different people. They speak with two military experts. Um, from Lebanon, uh, and one paragliding expert that's that's apparently he asked for anonymity because he didn't want to get like the sport involved in the politics of this all. But they needed like an expert to like talk about like how do you fly these things. So 
the first Lebanese military experts, he tells uh, uh, L'Orient today um, that they had to have received their training outside of Gaza, meaning that they must have gone outside of the Strip to get that training, which that's the first thing that makes the most sense to me because I refuse to believe in, in many ways that they were flying around in Gaza training for this and nobody noticed. But we'll get back to that point. It still is a little bit hard to believe that they got enough people out of the Gaza Strip. Like they smuggled enough. Like those borders are fucking heavily, heavily guarded, right? It's not easy to get people out. And there were a lot of people flying those goddamn paragliders. So I don't know, a couple dozen people escape Gaza, go learn how to, you know, fly a kite. I don't know, Lebanon, maybe, maybe somewhere else. I, I can't, I don't even know where they would go to learn this, right? That would be safe for them. Lebanon is like the closest place that I can think of. So they go and learn that stuff. And not only do they get back into Gaza, but they also have to bring all that equipment with them. All those hang gliders, like they didn't make that shit there. They, and they, they probably built, made that there. I don't know, man. I don't think they did. I mean, how hard is it to make a hang glider? I mean, I'm guessing it's hard, but given I mean, all the okay, other shit so, they make, so, I'm, I'm, but but again, it's like it's the training thing, right? Okay, so yeah. let's say they the training thing is more. I, I they, can see they them train building. outside of Gaza, but then they come back and make it. What they don't test any of them there, yeah. right? Like they just, just assume that it's going to work. No, I think they they had to have imported it if that was the case. Maybe that thing is like thirty years old. It goes back past the blockade. Maybe, maybe, man. That's I don't that's know. the maybe, only explanation because there's stuff that they maybe. have there. That's no, that's that probably came into that country pre-blockade, or maybe somebody built it. If, if if they built it, then they they definitely have to have tested it, right? Maybe they tested it before. Maybe they took training prior to the blockade. I mean, the, I mean, I'm just, look, I don't know. Look, I know, I'm just I know playing devil's like, advocate to make sense right now. Of it because it doesn't make any sense and I get it, it. But like a lot of those guys that were flying on there, they're all fucking young kids. Like the average age of Gaza is 18 right now, 18 years old. So the, the entire, well, the majority of the Gaza Strip wasn't even alive pre-blockade. So it's really hard to believe that these people knew somehow got training at all in Gaza. They had to have been trained outside of Gaza. Unless they were trained inside of Gaza, and that is something, something else, right? So, okay, here's the guy on the paragliding. The paragliding guy says, from a technical point of view, what we saw in the video doesn't work, uh, as the fighters would have needed more space to land than what was visible in the video clips. And, you know, he, he's saying, also, a typical paragliding journey could be sabotaged by a single bullet from the average handgun, which is true, right? I mean... It, you don't need sophisticated cool. air defense to knock that out. Of the no, sky. It, it's a it's a it's a fascinating you know shock and awe campaign, right? Like to see a bunch of fucking terrorists flying around in, in paragliders, right? And it certainly is a great propaganda thing, right? And I'm not denying the fact that they actually crossed the border. That's abundantly clear, you know. But okay, you see these things flying over the fence. Where's the IDF to shoot them? Where's anyone to stop these relatively flimsy devices that a, an expert says would have been fairly easy to shoot out of the sky? That leaves a big question that I think a lot of people are starting to ask. It's like, how did, how did this happen? And then the last thing is, 
and this this is coming from and this guy is actually named General Khalil Halu, who's a Lebanese military expert, and he says that he has read several leaked reports from Israeli authorities that their intelligence had actually seen the paragliding ex, uh, exercises being conducted by Hamas militants, but did not believe that Hamas has the capability of orchestrating such an operation and that the paragliding technique would actually work. So, I mean, if this general guy from Lebanon is right, and he did read something like this, I think I feel like that's the most plausible explanation. They just thought it was something stupid. They probably made fun of it. Like, look yeah, at these they were like, stupid oh, look at these Arabs with their dumb stupids. fan machines. Right. There, there's no way that they can use this to hurt yeah. us in any way. Yeah. That, that's probably the reaction, that it was just ridiculous. Um, but I know it's, it, it's perplexing that this was able, you know, they were able to train and, and coordinate this. Um, essentially like in bunkers and stuff, right? Like that's where they're doing this and that's where they're coordinating this. Um, According to Hilu, they were out flying in the sky and yeah. you know, nobody ever did anything about it. But but Hilu does make a really good point here and he's saying that, you know, the paragliding was a propaganda thing, right? Like obviously they did need to cross over the, the, the fence because there were, you know, there's a lot of places that were unreachable by foot during that siege, but, you know, that it was mostly set up as a PR thing for Hamas. Yeah. Like, look at us, we're fucking flying, right? And 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 it kind of worked, right? Because you you read any any article, listen to any news coverage, all of them are going to tell you this was a coordinated multi front attack from land, air, and sea. And the air part happens to be these things, right? But that he's also saying that th- that wasn't even if they had a hundred of these things, that's not the 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 thing that was impressive or, or effective. What he points out is that there's 20,000 Palestinians that leave Gaza every day for work outside of the Gaza Strip, and they return daily, right? So they're in and out every single day. It's a program that Israel had set up. And it's one of the few things that I actually appreciated, which was just like allowing people to work and make 10 times more than they would in the Gaza Strip. But it's such a small number of people, and they, they, they tightly uh, uh, monitor these folks um, but that he's, he's positing that, you know, these folks were probably doing, you know, geographic, um, reconnaissance, right? Like figuring out the routes, figuring out where all the police stations are, figuring out where all the, you know, military outposts are. And that's probably true. And I think this, this paragliding thing kind of is the, is the fancy thing to distract you from the, the larger issue, which was that, you know, this had to have been happening over a long period of time. And they do quote this guy from Hamas, Ali Barakay, who is a member of uh, the Hamas's leadership in Lebanon. And he told the article, uh, the, the author, that um, in order to execute Al-Aqsa flood operation and send its gunmen via paragliders, it had to use the help of its allies and friends, which is interesting by itself. And then he also says, we've been planning for this honorable operation for two years. Okay. So let's take him at his word there. Well, They've I been guess planning it for two years and they have help and they had help. Well, so one of the, I don't want to say claim, but you know, um, one of the reasons I have read that, uh, Hamas decided to do this now was that there was a settler issue 
at the Alaska Mosque, where yep. 800 Israeli settlers and like ultra orthodox settlers um, on Thursday, yeah, on mm-hmm. Thursday, they stormed the Alaska Mosque and they started performing Talmudic rituals. rituals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a response to that, but clearly this was something that wasn't out of the blue. You know, when this no. happened, and it's, it's also the 50 year anniversary to the day of yeah. um, of of the the prior. Uh, that, that, could 70, a, that could be that could be a coincidence, but I mean, maybe they mm. decided maybe they had this plan for a while, and they were like, "All right, let's do it now." In response to this, but I mean, I don't know that there's not enough evidence to suggest that this wasn't a direct response. I mean, Hamas probably would have just came out and said that, right? If that was well, I mean, they did so much. I mean, they they said straight up that I mean, they'll tell you how you're, they're feeling. <laughs> right? You no, they're them. they're not quiet about it. I mean, they they said that the reason why they're doing this is is I mean, they call it. Operation Al-Aqsa Flood or Al-Aqsa Storm, depending on how the translation is worded. But the, the, it's literally centered around the the actions that Israel has taken around Al-Aqsa Mosque. Now, again, this is not some a plan that you could just spin up in, in from Thursday to Saturday, right? They had to have been planning it for a while. Yeah. I and don't th- quick, I think quick that's context. a con- So this, yeah, was, I mean, this was the reason for when Hamas started... Uh, firing rockets into into Israel two years ago in right. May of 2021. That's right. Um, it was in response to the IDF or police units gassing worshippers in, in the Al-Masqa Mosque. I mean, the same and, shit happened this year, too. Yeah. I, like, it, it also happened this year. And, and there's just kind of this negative trend. And again, I, I don't want to blame the victims here. Israel are the victims of, a, of an attack this Saturday. However... This is the context by which the people who are perpetrating the attacks say is the reason why they're doing it. So it's impossible not to pay attention to it. Much in the same way when we covered, you know, the 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 Russia-Ukraine war, it's impossible to just like ignore what Putin was saying as his justification, even though his justification is bullshit and doesn't, you know, isn't justified to do what he did. Same thing with Hamas. It's not justifiable to do I'll, what they did because of this, but this is the context. Yeah, I'll take this one step further. So, I mean, the context of 9-11, there's mm-hmm. context behind it. They didn't decide to smash build, to smash planes into the Twin Towers just because because they hate our freedom. Right, that's Because they hate ridiculous. the gap, and they hate blue jeans. They didn't decide to do that because, you know, they because of women driving. They did right. it because of U.S. foreign policy decisions, one of them being our support for Israel. Mm-hmm. Or U.S. support to Israel, and you know the others being bases in Saudi Arabia and and the sanctions regime on Iraq, which killed hundreds of thousands, you know, five hundred thousand children. Right, and this those, were, those were the reasons. A, and this is perpetrated again, coming back to the context, by a group that we finance. So there's a lot of similarities. The Mujahideen. That was that was us. We set them up to fight the fucking Soviets. In Afghanistan, and Al Qaeda, we gave them the guns, and we gave them the training, and we got blowback for it. I, I know, and it's it's like there's suspicious circumstances around how are these guys training in the United States? How are these guys taking flight, uh, taking uh, in flight schools in the United States? Mm-hmm. Like it, there was a significant, um, almost criminally negligent, criminally or, negligent, criminally negligent. That's that's you know the best way to put it. Because if you, if it's not criminally negligent, then it was like, you know, essentially 
we let them do it to get a pretext like that. Like criminally negligent I, I re- is the I most to, generous like, way to say. Seriously, like the most generous I, interpretation of uh, of and it's not US a good one. And it's not a good. It's not a good one. And I think you know, in the days and weeks, and hopefully this doesn't last more than six days, like the last six day war. But um, in the days to come, we're probably going to find out about criminal negligence from, on the Israeli side. And I, I think just this. Just the one stupid paraglider thing is is a is just the tip of the iceberg for this because I mean we're talking about just massive movement of hardware, massive you know setup, massive planning, and I'm hearing a lot you know uh, military folks saying that you know these Hamas guys switched to pen and paper and like courier services to do their communications and that's why they weren't able to pick up on like signal intelligence. Or something like this and yeah that's probably what they did but i don't know i just i think it's kind of it's it's got to be some negligence some criminally negligent um ignoring of the of the terms a lot of the things that are coming out so far maybe egypt told them already 10 days before maybe they saw some fucking paragliders flying around what else did they miss right well you know it happens to us all the time the boston bombing yeah the russians yeah. told us that hey these guys these brothers they're radical. They're from. They're Chechen radicals. You need. You need to surveillance these get these kids. They're 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 going to perform a, a terrorist attack, and we were like, eh, yeah, fuck you. And then they performed a terrorist attack, right? And they killed and maimed people running in a marathon. Um, right. I don't know if this is similar. I mean, on the on the flip side, you hear people saying that that the Israelis let them do this to. The Israeli government. The, the let Israeli this government. Let's be let very them clear because it wasn't the people of Israel that did this shit. And yeah. that is a theory. It's one well, that I refuse to believe. Right? I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the yeah, government. Just but, saying it. I, yeah, I refuse I to believe that one right now because it's just so hard to stomach the idea that so many people have died and will continue to die because of a political machination. I don't believe that either. I I don't believe that they essentially. You know, this is this is akin to a false flag operation. If you're letting mm-hmm. a terrorist attack happen on your soil to achieve some political goal, I don't believe that was the case because um, th- th- there's just way to doesn't even make. Even if you're going to contribute the most Machiavellian motives to the Israeli government, it wouldn't even make sense because I mean, right now it seems like there's 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 kind of political and and uh, chaos. Um, it, it really seems that the Israeli government is backed in a corner, which makes it so scary. And right, the reason which, which explains the, the veracity of the, of the strike backs right now. Well, here's, here's the thing. And, and this is what I, this is what I suspect what the intention is and of, of Hamas. And obviously that Hamas is not going to conquer Israel. Like anyone no, who thinks that not is, even close to is it. out of their mind. Right. What they're and, and honestly, you know, Hamas is part of Israel when you think about it, because these are Gaza and the West Bank, these, the, the Palestinian territories. They're not separate states. They're part of Israel. You know, right. they're annexed land and annexed land because the occupations are permanent. You know, these aren't to, to say these are occupations is, is, is too generous because an occup- the definition of an occupation is that it's not that you leave eventually. <laughs> you leave eventually. <laughs> right. These are annexations. So these are part of it, you know. This, this is this is the same state technically, right? I mean, it, I think in general, the idea that they allowed this to happen is is yeah, a conclusion that's where we're going that I'm to. not 
I'm not willing to go down just yet until there's more evidence that suggests this otherwise, because, but, but I can see how people are positing this, this information, right? When you look at the absolute turmoil that is in the fracturing of the government right now there, you know, before this, this event, it is kind of convenient that they now have a unity government, you know? So that's one way that a lot of people are trying to make this theory have legs, but that's like hindsight 2020, you know, like looking backwards, you're trying to apply your theory, you know, uh, without any background context. It's, it's interesting to think about, but there's not quite enough evidence for me to believe that that's, that is indeed the case. And, and also if it is the case, it's a fucking stupid idea because the outcome of this is, is that, I mean, I think Hezbollah, last thing I read, there was some, some fighting happening in North, uh, Southern Lebanon, um, that Israeli warplanes were were striking um, targets in southern Lebanon. Um, so there, there's a definite, really a real prospect of, of Hezbollah getting involved in a fight in a in a more widespread way. I mean, there's there's a there's an off chance that that Iran gets involved, but that's not typically their mo. They they typically just like to support proxies for their for their endeavors there. Um, you know, I just don't think it would have been a smart move. Uh, I refuse to believe that they're that stupid that they would think that that would be helpful for them. We'll I, think, I just don't think it. Think it, it works. we'll think about this. This is like the reason why this is such a such a bad situation, or one of the. I mean, there's many reasons why this is a bad situation, but one of the reasons why it's specifically bad for the IDF is that their goal. I mean, they declared war, so their goal is to eliminate Hamas. To, to, to erase them, a, a dehamasification campaign, essentially, right? In order to do that, they can they can launch airstrikes all day and they can carpet bomb Gaza. There's a couple of things that are going to prevent them, though. There's, there's an actual limit of civilians that they're going to allow to be able to kill. And that number, we don't, I don't know what that number is. That number is probably somewhere in the tens of thousands. But if they kill... 20,000 people, civilians, which they would do if they kept on knocking down residential places. Like, you know, they're not, the residents of the building have basically, of, of Gaza, have basically told to go to like four different, a couple different uh, evacuation zones, which are schools. Um, these schools they, are still getting They actually hit. recently hit one of those refugee Yeah, camps. they recently hit one of these refugees, these schools. Um most families are just in their houses and they're not getting what the Israelis would typically do when they would bomb Gaza is that they would, they would basically give them a knock. They would yeah, say, okay, this knock. building's about to be knocked down. You have about five minutes to go before it's, it's knocked down like 15 and, minutes. And, and sometimes yeah, they even minutes. called them or sent them text messages and shit yeah. and tell them to get the fuck out, which is, I mean, I, I kind of appreciate that even if it's a tactical like nightmare, but they've suspended that too. That's no longer in effect. Yeah, they're just they're just leveling places now. So there's there is a threshold that they're not going to be able to to pass because eventually, because over the next week, we're going to get all these pictures. There's going to be all the video evidence of atrocity. Like it just mm-hmm. there's no there's no escaping it. There's going to be have dead a very children. Limited window to do some fucked up shit. Before. There's going to be dead. There's going to be dead children. Mm-hmm. There's going to be fried corpses. There's going and these are predominantly going to. I mean. Gaza is a million children. There's two million people in Gaza. A million of them are children. Two point four, and it's and it's twenty five miles tall, seven miles wide. It's one of the densest populated areas you, in in the world. 
you are going to kill children, little infants. If you go on Twitter, if you look at any type that, that will, that's why this is such a horrible thing to look at because it's mostly children who are dying. Um, children who are not Hamas, by the way. So these aren't, there's going to be a limit of what they can get away with before they'll, you know, since they were, since it was such a horrible attack, they, they have more room than they normally would before there's international pressure for them to wrap it up. But I think once it hits, they can't slaughter a hundred thousand people. Like that's just not going to, I don't think that it, the Muslim world would completely lose its mind. There would be a global jihad against them. Um, it, it, this, this is not to undermine the fact that, that Hamas just you know, murdered people you know, and they killed children and they took hostages and they fucking murdered so many innocent people as well. But it, one, like, it, this, is, this shouldn't be biblical, right? This isn't an eye for an eye. This is fucking crazy. But like, what are they going to do? And that's the thing that I keep racking my brain over. It's like, okay, they level a building. And if you're on the Israeli side, you say, well, you know, there's probably Hamas there. And also they started it. All right. There's been one on the election. Pals- so the, 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 the election of Hamas was in 2006. Seven, I think. Actually. 2007, 2006. Yeah. So these, the, the little children dying didn't vote for Hamas. They weren't even alive. They weren't alive. And then the second thing is um, they're going to have to, just going back to why this is such a bad situation for the IDF, they're going to have to go in Gaza. I think that really this was very similar to 9-11 again, where Osama bin Laden and the architects behind 9-11, their goal was to attack the United States and not destroy us because they wouldn't be able That's to impossible. come here and destroy us. Mm-hmm. Their goal was to overextend us and mm-hmm. bring us into the Middle East so they can harm us there and overextend the empire. That's right. I think that's what I think essentially that's kind of what what Gaza did. What, what Hamas what, did. What Hamas did mm-hmm. is that they're like, all right, why don't we overextend them? And if we provoke, they're going to have to go on the ground because we're going to be underground. And that so now it's guerrilla warfare. Now this is guerrilla warfare. I mean, the life of somebody in Gaza is so miserable. Since the blockade in 2007, it is so bleak and so miserable and so terrible that most people are like, a lot of young people especially are like, my life is basically worthless. Like, Mm -hmm. I have no chance. I have zero opportunities in life. I cannot escape this. It's a true open-air prison. And honestly, 63% of Gaza has food insecurity. Only 10% has access to fresh water. Uh, Their power plants can only supply 50%, so they have rolling rolling blackouts. So half half of every day has no electricity for them. And everything else is tightly restricted uh, by the Israeli blockade. So only a limited amount of people. I mean, 20,000 people every day used to come in and out of Gaza for work, but that is a drop in the bucket. When you, when you think about the 2.4 million people that live there, they have no freedom of motion. They have no, no freedoms to do anything. They, they live in absolute destitute. It's fucking sad. And this is for a generation. And what's fucked up about it is that, you know, this, this blockade was a response to what Hamas did years ago 
nevertheless, the majority of this population wasn't even alive for that. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and it's just... Did not participate in that. wasn't even didn't even exist and nevertheless have to pay the price for that and and raises a lot of moral questions about like you know is this is this form of collective punishment justifiable you know no it's not justifiable it's wrong it's wrong to collectively punish people especially children like you're irresponsibly murdering kids and that's why it's so jarring that's why it's so jarring and disorienting to see people who consider them like who consider themselves pro-life christians in america Mm calling for the genocide of children let's let's first let's for a second entertain the 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 other side because because i i want to be fair and 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 also i want i want to point out how fucking difficult this is you know hamas exists period even if the majority of the of the 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 people in gaza have nothing to do with hamas and are totally innocent in this hamas exists and they are a threat and occasionally they send rockets over and occasionally those rockets hit and hurt people or kill people and we can argue all day about the justifications of it, or maybe not the justifications, but like the rationale behind it. And we can understand what the motivations behind why they do what they do. At the end of the day, it's still wrong. And what does someone like Israel do about it? Right. So, I mean, I think at this point they feel that they've just thinking about it out loud. It they've they've oppressed these people so hard that it's impossible to just stop oppressing them and expect like everything to be nice and happy it's like, like, kind of like Guant- the guantanamo bay problem where it's ex- like ex- it's 100 hey if these guantanamo people were if, like like guantanamo bay it's where hey even if we lock some people up who weren't terrorists mm-hmm. well we treat them so poorly they're definitely terrorists now it's right. kind of like that it's like well we've been we've been so cruel to this population over the past 15 years that i mean if that, even if they didn't exist, they're definitely going to hate us now. Like it's right. It's so I mean, like what do you paradigm. do? What do you, what do you do if you're Israel? You know, like what do you what do you do to protect your people? You know, like we we agree that what they're doing is fucked up, right? So it's, we, it's, that's our starting. You know, point, there's, but, there's the solution is the solution is ending the occupation, ending the blockade. Really, 
I'm not I mean, even the, saying I that. I think the very rational fear from the Israeli government and the security forces there would be if you end the occupation, they're just going to go all out and start murdering innocent people with with reckless abandon. And that's a very real possibility. Which is right? which is which is probably true. Which is probably true. That's why there's no it's that's why the situation is just so hopeless. You know, like there's really not any good option for anyone. And um it is uh it's just it's 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 heartbreaking, man. It's yeah. It um well I mean let's let's talk about this operation because like when we covered the Russia Ukraine war, we spent quite a bit of time thinking about the not only just the Russian motivation to invade, but the stated goals, the the stated and and frankly unstated goals of Russia, and in in that um in that conflict, you know the stated goals was to denazify the areas and and liberate the 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 Russian sympathizers that that lived in the east of Ukraine, right? So what are the to stated liberate goals? or eliminate? <laughs> uh, to liberate, yes. <laughs> no, it, I mean Putin's pretty clear about his the goals of Russia. You know, to basically get NATO off the doorstep. Uh, mm-hmm. It's to. So what are the stated goals here? I mean, preemptive the the stated goals here. Well, what did, what did Hamas say? I don't even think we really have an accurate. Well, I'm talking about what are Israel's stated goals. Oh, Israel's stated you know, goals because we know I mean, what what Hamas wanted to do. They just wanted I mean, what's, to. What's the Israeli? What's the like Israeli that? defense minister just say? We should probably quote him because let's I think quote him. His his uh, his words on this were pretty. What did Yov Gallant say? He said something along the lines. I want to get his quote perfectly, like so. I'm not paraphrasing it because right. yeah, because I think it is, is important. It's, it's important to to actually use quotes. We are fighting against human animals. Okay, not the full thing, but he. I mean, in the context, he was calling for a complete siege of Gaza. Yep, he says, I have ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly he adds so i guess some subtext here is i'm really having trouble finding the full quote here unfortunately but i remember from that speech that he stated being their their goal or their interest here is to cripple hamas such that they have no capability to do this again in the future which I mean, reasonable on paper. How are you going to do it though? And and I just don't see. I don't see how they can do it because um, I was reading another another article. Uh, another former Israeli defense minister, um, whose name I forget, you know, was saying that you know they they hit Hamas and they blow up a couple buildings and, and they blow up a few rocket launchers, crush a couple tunnels, and two years later they make more. Right. So. It's, what, it's just what makes this goal different, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, what makes this goal different is that is this dehumanization of their enemy. We are fighting human animals and we are acting accordingly. This gives me the indication that it, this, in addition to the fact that they're that they're 
completely blockading. They're, they're shutting off the electricity, food, fuel, and everything like that. That is actually illegal um, by international law, but, you know, it's a war, so people are going to do fucked up things. Anyway, those two things combined, I think, tells me that that there are there are going to be some pretty high prices taken and it's they're not going to hit Gaza they're not going to hit Hamas specifically that's not it's not possible a lot of the times you know the, the the proponents of Israel doing what they do leveling buildings and things like that will say like hey well Hamas uses you know Palestinians in Gaza as human shields and that is categorically true but also what it the, is it's it's called urban warfare it's called all these well, people are I mean, stuck we're in we're talking about a 7 by 25 yeah. mile strip of land that's got 2.3 million people where the fuck are they going to put their stuff that isn't in immediate you know residential area yeah like there's only so many places to live like people live everywhere right um, where where would they pot i mean there's no like field somewhere where they can put all their weapons and like also why the fuck would they do that right it, it would it, it would be immediately destroyed right so where else would they put their means of defense it would be like asking you know every texan like hey can you please keep your guns on your front porch well what they would have to do in order to to get hamas would be something similar to what the Russians did to Mariupol to root out Azov Battalion. Which is? And they they had to go door by door. Mm-hmm. They went door by door. And it was a hard, it was very bad. It was a pretty bloody battle. And so you're predicting this a Mariupol is a city, in Gaza? I'm not predicting that. I don't think it will go that far. But it, it wouldn't be a Mariupol. It would be something that would be 10 times as big. I think Mariupol's population of like 200,000 at most. It's not a huge, I mean, it's a larger city, but it's not like some huge city. Um, right. What's the population of Mariupol? I, I guess what it was, was the population of Mariupol. Uh, what was Mariupol? That shit is different now. Okay. It's more than 200. It's 446,000 people. Right, but that's still a fraction of, of Gaza and Gaza is much smaller. Yeah. So they would have to go door to door it would be intense urban combat and the Israelis would take heavy casualties. Like it wouldn't be something where, you know, there'd be 10 casualties. Like some of the other, some of the other conflicts they've had, they probably take hundreds, if not thousands. And they've already taken a thousand. Um, well, according to them. civilian casualties, Civili- we, don't, we don't know what the breakdown is for yeah. soldiers versus, you know, civilians. So, but I don't, I don't know. I, that's why I think that, they're hoping for a short war rather than a long war, and um, everybody's hoping for a short war, frankly. But yeah, I don't know I don't, how you make it. I don't know how you do a short war here, right? Well, With, I don't without think, just I don't think you do leveling. short war and cut and, and eliminate Hamas. You in order to do that, they'd have to they'd have to do a pro, a long term protracted war and take casualties. Um, they'd have I'm to not do sure they're similar to, to what that. the Russians did. In, in I'm not sure they're willing to stomach that because it's very are. much like the U.S. We don't we don't like casual we don't like any casualties. As a matter of fact, just recently they did a prisoner swap there where they switch switched one Israeli soldier for like a thousand Palestinian prisoners, and that's just how they value like the the scale of lives there. So if they're willing to say one soldier for a thousand Palestinians, if they go in and a single soldier dies, they're going to kill. They're going to turn on kill a thousand. To exact that price, if we're talking about that at scale, and and speaking of prisoners, 
I don't think it's very possible for them to go door to door and do and and just indiscriminately bomb, given the fact that there's something like 250 prisoners right now, hostages. Yeah. So they got to deal with that. So they can't just level everything. Well, right? yeah, they don't know where they are, and you know they might be operating that these these prisoners are already dead, or maybe there's negotiation. I don't know. Again, I, th- I think the Israeli I mean, there's a, people there's a large would, range would not accept Israel's decision to just assume that they're all dead and just level all of Gaza. I don't think yeah. they would accept that. I, but I mean, we'll see if they if they do some sort of prisoner swap. Um, but um, I guess what I'm the larger point I'm trying to make is that. I don't. I really don't think this. The, they would prefer not to do, not to, to have a bunch of. It would destabilize the country. I feel um, if there was a lot of, a lot of killed in action in Gaza, mm-hmm. uh, especially since the political environment is so fragmented right now, with you know with with the right and the, and the left. Um, I mean. There, there was mass protests for, for months, going back last year at the end of last year, and it, it, it let's put be- some historical context on this. Back in okay, so this is the basically the fiftieth anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, right? Pretty much to the day, and it's also why it's an auspicious day for Hamas to have done, you know, the attack. And back in twenty thirteen, I got this from the Times of Israel. Back in 2013, they um, Israel released the late prime minister's testimony uh, before the uh, the commission on her handling of the 73 war, uh, and in that war, 2,500 Israelis lost their lives, and we're already coming dangerously close to that. And we can imagine that if there's a ground war, which it seems like there are, because they've got about 100,000 troops at the ready, calling up another 300,000 reservists. Sounds like what what the fuck else are they going to do with those troops, right? So in that war and in the 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 aftermath of that war there was a the a commission, the uh, Agronaut Commission. And Golda Meir, the prime minister at the time, uh was heavily scrutinized for this. And one of the things that she was scrutinized for was that evidently they had intelligence that that there was going to be a strike from Egypt. They apparently knew that it was going to happen, but according to her, there was some hesitation, right? One of the hesitation was that, you know, if they did a preemptive strike on the Suez, you know, on the western side of the Suez Canal, which is where the Egyptian troops were amassing before this uh, uh, fight, that you know, the U.S. wasn't going to come out and help them because they shot the first shot, which is a very real issue. Uh, another one was that she believed that, you know, their their soldiers were would be able to handle it. But the outcome of all of this is that a year later, she resigned. I think because she was about to get kicked out anyway. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. You'll hear advice on everything from how to build confidence to how to get the best night's sleep. 
New episodes drop every weekday, and each one is five minutes or less. So you only have to listen a little to get a lot more out of your weekdays. Listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money and not just your own. To follow trends, track financial situations, follow gains and losses, check out the Yahoo Finance podcast. Every day, we'll give you a quick overview of the latest market and financial news that you need to know. You'll be able to hear about the biggest headlines in the business world in three minutes or less, right after markets close. It's perfect to listen to while you make another cup of coffee or work out a new budget. Check it out now. Listen to Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. So, we're going to see BB come through. Still be the prime minister after this, especially given the fact that there's a lot of questions circling right now about what, how much they knew and why they weren't able to stop it and how they didn't notice the fucking paragliders. Well, I will, I will say this. It's the, you know, you can blame, he can escape blame for immediate techno, uh, intelligence failures, but it's just kind of like the la- larger political moves that he's made aligning with the far right in Israel, um, aligning with the settler parties, you know, the settler issue is, is one of the primary issues, which is, which is drawing so much antagonism. And, and honestly, the settler issue is what is, what's making what ultimately should be the goal. I I think I'm more of a, you know, I think there should be a two state solution. You're more of a one state solution person, right? Um, one state where they all live in fucking see, I, I don't think don't that's possible. I don't think that's possible. Like, I don't, I don't think, think a two-state solution is possible. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. Touche. Because the two states, given, I thought the two-state solution was more was could be possible, but the settler issue just makes it just carves up everything into Swiss cheese. They'd have to concede a significant amount of land to you know a Palestinian state to connect Gaza and the West Bank. That would be the They'd only way. They'd also have you to allow. Palestine as a whole as as the second state to self-determination meaning and and I mean that in the truest sense meaning controlling their own borders having their own economy having their own government and having their own military and that that's just not an acceptable term for for Israel well I mean what what they're hoping is just to have I mean they they the Palestinian authority is basically just like your typical corrupt Arab state, like any other state, mm-hmm. they just want to keep that. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe that—that's what a future state, Palestinian state, would look like. Just another corrupt Arab state. But if there was not, if they didn't have the settler issue, you know, a two-state solution would be would be possible, Bible. and that would yeah. be the you know the. I think that would be the. I mean, obviously, it's not perfect. But there's no way there can be a one-state solution, especially. I mean, the, the the stated goal of Israel is to be essentially, a, you know, a safe haven for Jews and to maintain a Jewish demographic. I mean, that would dilute the Jewish demographic there um, in half. In half. In literal so, half. Yeah, there's about as many. What's the houses. point of having Israel then if it's not going to be a Jewish state? And it I don't really, believe it, in ethno states. So yeah, I don't believe in ethno states either. But you know, that's. That's the goal of it. And, you know, here's kind of like the larger tragedy, I feel, 
and you just got to go back to the Zionist movement. The, the state of Israel was supposed to be a safe haven for Jews, you know, given the atrocities of the, of the of not only the 20th century, but of the late 19th century as well with the pogroms and all of that. And it was supposed to be a safe haven for Jews. And now it's the least, I mean, objectively, Israel is the least safe, safest place for Jews in the world. Um, they're better off in Brooklyn. <laughs> they're better off anywhere. Um, it's, it is the most dangerous place for, for Jews in the world. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's the tragedy of what, of what Zionism is, uh, or what I, mean, I was reading a lot about, about like the Zionists just in preparation for the show. And, and, and I'm reminded again that Theodore Herzl, that the modern founder of, of Zionism, you know, his, his idea was to, to solve the Jewish issue in Europe was to create a colony in Palestine written in the documentation. <laughs> so, I mean, you can think of that very positively, right? Like, and say it's very supportive of, of Jewish plight and having them return to their homeland and, you know, for what that's worth. You could also read that as very anti-Semitic in the first place, right? Like, here's a way to get rid of our Jewish problem, kick them all out. Or, or give them the choice to leave, <laughs> you know? What, Theodore Herschel? Yeah. Well, Theodore I mean, Herschel is a Jew. No, I know, but a lot of the, a lot of the European leaders who signed on yeah. to this were inherently anti-Semitic, especially the folks in fucking uh, Great Britain. I mean, the Balfour well, uh, Declaration is, is inherently fucking, it's got, it's got tinges of racism. The goal, it. well, the goal, the goal with the, with the British Empire, with the early Zionists, was economic, really. I mean, they saw that as, they, they were like, well, you know, if we, if, if the Jewish populations of Europe colonize Palestine, then they're going to economically develop it. And Palestine's a valuable area. You know, it's close to the Suez Canal. Like, though, that was the reason why the British pushed for it, was, was to create, like, an economic prosperity zone, um, to, to bring up the economic prosperity zone from last episode. But I mean, that was essentially what was the, the primary motive behind it. Um, I don't know what had, how much it had to do with like getting rid of their, their Jews, but maybe some countries it was, it was, but um, for the British, they were, they were looking at it in in um, in um, you know, dollar signs really. And yeah, there's still, there, there were still so many Christian Zionists who, you know, who were supporting this for like, you know, theologic reasons, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. Fucking... That that's that's. And and then there's there, there was a lot of right wing nationalists in Europe that were that were in support of this for a number of reasons. One of them because they didn't like the Jews, and that sounded like a really good idea, right, for them to just leave. Uh, another one was that because they looked at Israel as being, you know, a an ethnostate example so that they could use it as a model for their own ethnostates. And, and even Herzl himself, you know, acknowledged that a lot of the support that he was getting in Europe had a lot of that backgrounds, but, but it was justified in the sense that they all shared the basic aim of, of, of getting the, the Jewish diaspora relocated to Palestine. We could talk about this all day because it's an interesting topic, but I do want to touch on this before we wrap up. Okay. And it is the larger geopolitical scenarios. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, cover that. It's, I mean, it, this is the scariest part about it. It's like the implications of creating a larger, a larger war. 
Now, I kind of, if, so going back to what I think the goal of Hamas was, was to ultimately provoke the Israelis into into a quagmire in Gaza. And one of, I guess, potential outcomes, if there's a, if there's a, you know, human catastrophe, which very likely there's going to be, I mean, there's already, it's already been, it's already been, there's already been one um, over the past couple of days. And you can imagine over the following week or weeks, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. Um, this is most likely, and it, it has already, it's complicated any type of detente with, with Israel and Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, and this is kind of like what a lot of, what I've read Israelis are saying is that, you know, they did this now to kind of throw a fork into our relationship with Saudi Arabia, us normalizing relations with them. And, and also in response to like the, the Abraham Accords, um, I think what they are essentially want is to make it impossible for any Muslim government to have a normalized relationship with Israel. I mean, that would be the first goal. Secondary goal would be, all right, we not only want that, but we want it we want it so that Muslim governments have to um, at least publicly support us. Um, you know, they can't turn a blind eye anymore to to you know the Palestinian plight. I mean, enough. If you like poll Muslim populations in the Middle East, especially, it's um. I mean, they could the polling could be considered anti-Semitic. I'll just put it that way. The populations are largely very anti-israel so i want to talk about that the the implication of of you know undermining the normalization of arab states with israel and because i'm hearing that a lot and i don't know why that just doesn't sit super well as a as like a valid theory for me so I'll, i'll just spitball out loud because i still haven't formed it like a cohesive opinion on this i think it's totally possible that part of this is uh, Palestinian fear that a normalization with, say, Saudi Arabia would undermine their ability f- to get freedom because they'd effectively be losing a partner. But it's it's not as though Saudi Arabia was like helpful to Hamas in any or Gaza or the Palestinians no. in any mean like material way in any meaningful way, right? After after all the wars in the past, like after fucking Israel just spanked the shit out of all of their, you know, their uh, Arab uh, uh, neighbors. The rest of the Arab world has just been really quiet about this this issue. So I just can't see how this is a primary issue for Hamas right now. I just can't see it. Now, I can see it vis-a-vis the proxy of Iran, right? Because Iran doesn't like Saudi Arabia and Iran doesn't like Israel. And it definitely doesn't want them to team up and be against Iran. Well, and so, Iran and Iran and Saudi Arabia are normalizing their relationships, and a see lot of- that uh, that undermines the the <laughs> that undermines it even further. So, like, how how would Iran benefit if they're normalizing relationships with Saudi Arabia? How would they benefit by undermining this this other normalization? Because they're isolating Israel. That would be the benefit. So I if, don't know. So the goal is to, to completely isolate Israel from any from any allies in the Middle East. So it's taboo okay. to support Israel. That's, but that's how basically. That, but how does that functionally help 
Hamas right now? Well, it makes the state weaker and puts them more in a corner. It doesn't functionally like you know set Gaza free, but it makes it it puts the state in a corner. Which is which is which is kind of like if I'm Hamas, I'm like, I'm sure they're privy to to the geopolitical situation too. I don't think they're stupid. I'm thinking. No, of course they're, like, they're I'm not. not. Gonna, I'm not going to fight this war because because Iran thinks it's a good idea. I'm going to fight this war because I feel like I'm being oppressed. And and I think that the 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 discussion around this being an Iranian proxy war that is set up to undermine the normalization of Israel and Saudi Arabia is just it's it's like saying that this is a fight between Muslims and Jews. It's so superficial and like maybe a little bit has to do with it, but it's like so not the. That's not the point. No, that, that's not the. I yeah, that's not the point. That that's not the the primary goal of of uh, of of Hamas. But um, I mean, it's one of the ways that you can essentially, you know, it's kind of death by a million cuts type thing or a thousand cuts for sure. Um, but I mean, I think I think it's more along the lines of bringing in the larger Muslim world to their support by provoking some sort of atrocity in, in Gaza. I think that could be a motive, um, which is a pretty Machiavellian motive. But going back to when we were talking about just like how Hamas is financed, most of their finance, they get most of their aid from like black market is like Islamist groups. You know, what's really interesting too, is that, you know, kind of if if Hamas kind of aligned with anyone, it'd be more of like the Muslim Brotherhood type organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, Hamas was on was on basically Israel's side during the Syrian war because Hamas was on the anti-Assad. Uh, uh, they were on the anti-Assad groups, not the pro-Assad groups. Right, but well, because Assad is a secularist. <laughs> yeah, um, they took the, and they're Sunnis too. So mm-hmm. you know, they took the plight of the Sunni. And, um, but, you know, honestly, the, the Sunni Shiite divide in certain places in the Middle East, is not as important anymore. I mean, where it's most important is, I mean, Saudi Arabia, the Shia are discriminated pretty, pretty bad. Um, but, um, in, um, Iraq is probably where you have like, I mean, Iraq is basically the Germany of the Middle East where it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, the historic Germany. In a sense, like it was historically very fractured. Um, Iraq has the, you know, it had really the bloodiest religious war uh, out of any of the Middle Eastern states between, you know, Sunnis and Shia. Um, th- that's, I mean, that's still an issue there, but that's becoming less and less of an issue between like larger Shia governments and Sunni governments with their relationships with each other. And you can see that because, you know, for example, Iran and Azerbaijan are not on the best of terms because, you know, Iran was, was, um, you know, taking Armenia's side at the Navarno Karbas side in the war against Azerbaijan. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, you have, you have, um, so that's Shia on Shia, Shia versus Shia. Azerbaijan's a Shia state. Then you have organizations like Hezbollah, which is, they're 12 or Shia, which is the same 
sect as I ran, they're in there. It seems like they're working with, with Hamas. Like it's, I mean, they're, they're obviously working with Hamas and I think Hezbollah has stated that, you know, their primary goal is that they'll do whatever they can to not let Gaza fall. Well, I mean, they came out and, and supported, uh, Hezbollah, uh, excuse me, Hamas. Um, I think that was just today, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, I mean, there's, they're applying pressure. I don't think that, so, you know, I read, I read this guy, uh, Jacob Dreisen, who, who's an Israeli or he was born in Israel, but he's an army veteran in the U S and he was writing, you know, he, he basically was writing that if in a lot of, a lot of analysts have, have, have uh, alluded to this. If, if Hezbollah gets involved in the war, then um, then it would be it would be a major, major, major issue for the Israelis, and there would have to be an intervention to save the well, state. Well, I mean, they they've already dipped their toes in it. Just just literally today, um, there, uh, there would have to be a U.S. intervention to save the state, or if there would be, there would have to be um, the Israelis would have to you know use a nuclear weapon on Lebanon. I mean, they've already dipped their toes in this Hezbollah. They, they, um, just recently did some rocket and artillery fire onto three out military outposts in the Sheba farms, which is like the, the, um, the, uh, disputed Golan Heights area. Um, and they said it was in solidarity with the Palestinian people and the Israeli military, um, fired a bunch of artillery and, and, and did a bunch of air raids on areas in Southern Lebanon, just across that blue line, which is where, um, where the, uh, Israelis pulled out, uh, after their war in 2000. So they're already fighting a uh, yeah, small scale, but they're not, they're fighting on a small scale right now. Like if that, if they're, if that, if that conflict widens, it, it can, you know, that that's the scariest situation because then there's going to be pressure for the, for the U S to take retaliation measure, measures against a Hezbollah that would draw the U S into a conflict with Iran. And honestly, just if the U S enters a war with Iran, you know, it, it would start off by being like going after nuclear infrastructure, um, their refineries, but to remove the Ayatollah from power, that would have to be another, you know, they'd have to go in and physically remove them from power. Like they wouldn't be able to bomb them. They're in the mountains, you know, like this is mm-hmm. a lot. Iran's terrain is, is a lot different than Iraq's terrain. And also it has, you know, more than double the population. Iran has like 90 million people. Um, it, I don't, I don't think it's a porcupine. Like you wouldn't be able it would be impossible to swallow. Like, I don't think you can even, if there was like a, a 3 million man army and we were like, all right, we're, we have a massive agenda to overthrow the regime of, uh, of Iran. Uh, maybe that we could do it, but we would take well, tons of casualties. And I think it would be, you know, we just spoke about the Sino, um, the Russo Japanese war and how that was kind of like, an embarrassment for Russia, a national embarrassment for Russia, and and was really this death row or of the Russian Empire. Um, I think that would be similar to the United States. I think that would be. I think I Iran think, would definitely give us a black eye. We wouldn't would, be prepared for that. It would be a horrible cost, and 
we would i think it would i think it would almost the political stability instability that would cause in the u.s i think would rip the country apart like i think it would be the end of the united states if we get into a war with either china over taiwan or iran um i think both of those we we can't we, we can't do well i mean hopefully uh lebanon uh, or m- much more specifically hezbollah uh keeps quiet um and and doesn't attack any further i think they're and just going to kind of play the game of putting pressure on them i don't think that they're going to yeah. also i, don't, I hope it, it was, that, there's too that, much of the risk because it'll be Israel wiped doesn't out get any any bright ideas about maybe doing preemptive strikes against hezbollah targets as that would you know i'm sure that they will do preemptive strikes but it's just like the it would escalate the situation like what would though. what would the what would they like what would the escalation be like i don't i don't know Hopefully there's none. Like for right now, Israel responded to the attacks on that farm, the Sheba farms. And that makes sense, right? I'm not really blaming them at all for doing that. But if they decided like, hey, let's strike further in because we're worried that Hezbollah is going to continue attacking, uh, I think Hezbollah would, would probably rightly understand that as a as a declaration of war and, and perhaps, you know, more seriously get into it, which, you know, to all the points that you said would, would very likely bring in Iran and, and the U S maybe, I mean, Biden sent in a carrier strike group to tell everybody to shut the fuck up. I mean, let's see if that makes an impact. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Definitely. It's kind of an, I mean, I don't know if it was for if it was for Gaza or if it was for. Um, I mean, it, it was the stated reason was to make sure that nobody like nobody else fucks around. You know, I think I think one of the reasons was to make sure that there was no more funding from Iran. We need to stop Iran from funding them. It's, it's all Iran's fault. Were they like Venmoing them? Like they're Venmoing them. We need to put a stop to Venmo. Like, I just don't understand how 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 much more they can. How much more they well, can you have do to get right physically, now. You have to get physical materials in there. Right. You know, exactly. it's not, That's what I'm saying. They're, it's they're not, not like you can give them, them money. <laughs> like, here's $20. It's not like Even they're if gonna, they could give them money, like they need, they need weapons. They, they need, need like, shit. They need physical things that they can construct and make. Right. And, they, and they're not going to get that right now because there's a full-on blockade right now. seems like Egypt's pretty compliant with it too. So. Yeah. Well, it's a... Uh, it's a difficult situation, in the words of James Gandolfini mm-hmm. or Tony Soprano. It's a difficult situation. Uh, all right, we want to wrap this up. Yeah, man. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode. If you want to rate and review the podcast, that is the number one way to support our show. You can also join us on Patreon, um, where you get access to our Slack. Anything else you want to add? No, man. All right. Peace, guys. Peace.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.